The Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab number 333 for Monday, May 23rd, 2011. the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab, the show where you send in your questions, you send in your tips. We do our best to answer your questions, share our own tips, and together learn something a little bit more about the Mac and Apple products. Here in Durham, New Hampshire, I'm Dave Hamilton. And here in Fairfield, Connecticut, John F. Braun, and back up to you. It's Pilot Pete back in Durham. Thanks for having me, guys. That's right. Show 333, and then there were three, right? Trip Pete's back. Yeah. That's right. I, although I have to say, John, this show is is more like uh, there's a there's a, a a significant section of this show that is going to be follow ups from show three thirty one uh, because we dug into so much. So it's almost like three thirty one point one, as Pete was saying before. So, uh, but right. uh, but, yeah, but the, we've got lots of good stuff here. There was there were good topics. So let's uh, let's start with some new stuff, though, John. And uh, and I think Charles is a. Good place to start. Charles writes, I've got a really strange thing happening with my dock. The little blob showing an active application below the icon has disappeared on some apps, but not all. On the attached screen grab, which he sent, uh, he showed that Mail, InDesign, Photoshop and Acrobat uh, are all running, but have no dot. I know it's not a major thing, but I tried restarting and it's the same. Any help would be much appreciated. John? Well, the only thing I can think of, Dave, and it, it's come up before, but our friend Onyx yeah. has something that deals. Now, this is a dock icon. I'm going to classify this as a dock icon issue. Maybe you agree. Maybe you don't. But if you do agree, then going in Onyx and saying cleaning yep. user dock icons was one thing that I had proposed to uh, that I do propose to solve this problem <laughs> to solve this problem I, I suspect they may be uh somehow messed up i don't i don't understand the the mechanics behind what makes the little light light up it's outside a, it's of the a, icon so i thought it was maybe icon corruption or, or the icon cache corruption uh you know that might be it 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 is an it's simply an image right that little that little light that that appears below the apps it's just another image that is either enabled or or disabled um so right. it's interesting, you know, it would, it would seem to me that if the image itself was corrupted or missing, it would be gone from all apps. It would be a uniform problem. But uh, but obviously, as as Charles said and showed us in the screenshot, it was not a uniform problem. It simply uh, happened to some and not others. I know that you can have apps running and have them hidden in that they won't appear in the dock. But um you know, that doesn't that doesn't quite factor here either. I, and, and of course, we 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 did propose this to Charles and have heard back that he ran Onyx not once, but twice. And the first time he ran it, nothing happened. It, the problem persisted. He did a bunch of other stuff, then ran Onyx through all of its paces again, not just this one, but but many. And time two was a charm. Uh, let's hope. Let's hope it sticks. But uh, but yeah, you might be right, John. It could be that cash. Right. That I mean, that, it, that makes sense. I don't know. I don't I mean, know what I the mean, answer was. Well, I guess the question is, is the, the icon, is, is there one icon stored for 
the app and one stored for when the app is running? Or is that something that is done on the fly? I, I would guess it's something that's done on the fly. It's, it is done on the fly. Yeah, the app icon is uh, separate from the little icon for the uh, for the yeah, that, from the that's what light. I would guess. Yeah, that's... yeah, that the app vendor doesn't supply that. Apple supplies it. That's right. Yeah. So to me, that almost suggests a deeper issue. It is kind yeah, of he, weird. He, but he get, did get back to us, and I think he he uh, the yeah phrased it as he let Onyx do its stuff again. Right. And I think yeah, two or three maybe. Because we know three is a charm. Three is the charm today. That's right. So naturally it is. Three. It must, it, you know, he probably didn't realize it. He ran Onyx a third time in the middle there. That's right. Okay. <laughs> or he'll run it again in the future. And his system was just letting him take one out of the bank. I mean, I mean, the other thing is that Onyx uh, I've noticed is that the things that are checked and not checked are, uh, I guess, retained or maybe they certain are default and certain, it lets the user pick them. And maybe at one point he decided to go full bore and just pick all of them. Right. Right. And maybe that, he, he, he stumbled true. across the, the, the magic setting that, that cleared it all up. Yep. Yeah. All right. That Onyx is a great tool. I know we talk about it all the darn time here, but uh, for anybody who's new to the show, uh, or if you haven't gone and gotten Onyx yet, it it's free. Uh, it's reliable. They've been around for a long time. Uh, both John and I use it pretty much religiously recommended all the time. And of course, many, many, many of your listening brethren have, uh, have spent the time to run it too. And, and, and it can, it really can solve a lot of the wacky stuff. Cause OS 10 just has so many different temp files and pref files and cache files that, that are sitting there and really built to make your life uh, easier or faster or more efficient. But when one of those files gets, gets corrupted or lost or, just kind of out of sync with your system. It, it, you can have the strangest problems happen. So it, Onyx really is. And we'll probably talk about it again in this show and certainly talk about it again. In, at least in two more shows. times, at least two more. <laughs> that's right. For the third mention. What I do like about Onyx is that typically I've noticed that I don't know if it always did this, but it, it will ask you when it starts up, would you like to do a permission repair? I believe or, or disc no, it's scan. a disc scan. It's a file system right. scan on your disc. That's right. Yeah. And a smart status, which I think yep. are always, uh, which I think they're wise in doing that because that can. Yeah, it can, it can head problems. off problems. Yeah, I, I, you know, and, and I'm bad about this. I, I tell everyone do a, uh, a file system check, which the easiest way to do that is to use disk utility and do verify disk. Um, I, I tell everybody anytime anybody asks, I say do it every three months. I, I do not follow my own advice on this and and invariably it bites me in the butt because you you know i i'll wind up getting corruption it will happen to you it happens to all of us that the the file system which really is kind of the table of contents of that hard drive uh gets gets tied in a knot or some piece gets doesn't get saved the way it was supposed to and you can just have problems and the thing is you don't when there's just one problem, unless it's a pretty catastrophic problem, you won't notice anything. Your system will appear to run just fine. But over time, those things build up and then you wind up with a situation. If you don't fix it, you know, then you suddenly get kind of the straw that breaks the camel's back, if you will. That last bit that that's it. You know, you're done and you got to restore from a backup or or do a lot of, you know, exhaustive repairs on the thing to get it back. Checking that occasionally, you know, every gosh, it probably wouldn't even hurt to check it once a month. Uh, now that I think about yeah, it, I wonder if you could automate or script that. 
You could. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah so you there could. You, go. you know, have it do it yeah. at two in the morning or something while you're asleep and yeah. unless you work the night shift. You got to have a report back though because it can't fix your boot drive sure. while you're booted from it. Right. Uh, but but yeah, just getting some data that says, "Hey, man." But Applejack does though. It'll do it from the. Uh, from the from single user yeah, mode. If you go in the single user yes. mode, you can do it. You're right. Yes. Yeah, so, single user mode, you can, yeah, but of course, a, you're not going to conscript that. That's true. But that, be, <laughs> that being said, you know, yeah. I, I use Applejack probably about once a month, and I've been more religious since I had my SSD go crappers yeah. on me. And me, uh, and the only thing that saved me there was a super duper clone. I was able to boot back up and uh, and, and work and it. But that's what saves me every time. And I realize, hey, I've let it go like six or eight months and I haven't uh, done file system repair. And oh, thank goodness I have a super duper clone because otherwise mm, I'd be, you know, up a creek. So. Uh, so, yeah, do it once a month. Check it. it. It'll it'll let you know when there are problems that need to be addressed. And then and then, like Pete said, you either boot into single user mode using. Uh, I mean, right there in single user mode, you can do it. You don't even need Applejack, though. Applejack is yet another great another utility, utility to install. Yep. But I, so. I do it. What I do is I, I I'm ready to go to bed at night and I'll reboot into single user mode, run Applejack and walk away. And the next morning I get up. It's all taken care of. Yeah. Yeah. Good advice from the uh, from the man who just landed. John, any anything more here before we move on to Jack? I got to look at Applejack. Oh, so are you kidding that. me? We've known no each other way. for decades and you I'm don't run. Applejack is installed me. on every one of my Macs. <clears throat> immediately all right yeah I'll, it, I'll it, it. it's a backside saver to put it politely that's right okay yeah and it's not a chair okay uh, speaking of jack yes that's I right like i like this next question jack says so i have a late 2009 macbook recently it has developed a problem and i cannot figure out if i have a slow or damaged hard drive or if there's something within my system causing the problem so i am turning to my favorite geeks Jack writes, when I open an application, the text fields are slow to focus. And when I start typing within the field, the first letter is transposed somewhere down the balance of letters I typed within the field. It is like the application is dyslexic or some such. It happens in MS Office products, Adobe products, and lots of Safari websites. Once the program is up and running, the text creation seems to follow my exact type strokes as you would expect. It is only at the initialization of application or starting a new file within an application. Uh, I've run Onyx and rebuilt. I've rebuilt the Spotlight Index, Launch Services. I've rebuilt uh, font and application caches. I also checked the drive with Drive Genius and the Snow Leopard install DVD. All went well with no errors were found on the disk. So that's Onyx mention number two for those of you keeping score at home. Uh, we love the show and listen to it in the office for the engineers to hear. Okay, great. Uh, and he sent, he's got four gigs of Ram in this MacBook pro and, uh, John, you seemed excited to go. So go. This gets into the never ending battle, Dave, and, and you and I can toss it back and forth. Yep. I believe it's a hardware problem. I don't believe there's a problem at all. Other, other than, well, I believe there's a problem because uh, you didn't read it, but he indicates that when he types something, yep. the letters get transposed, or yeah. as he said, d- dyslexia. Yeah, I've seen this. Well, there's obviously a problem. Oh, oh, well, I, I, I'd be interested. All right, my, my initial thought was it's a hardware issue, but, but if you, if you want to give me your thought, I, I'd like to hear it first. Do you want me to go? No, I, I, I think I don't think there's a hardware problem. I, in okay. that, I think everything is likely operating just fine. 
However, mm. uh, I've seen this before. So right. what what happened? What's happening is when he he says that this is only happening when he's launching applications, meaning that the app, the disk spin. You right, you you click to launch an app, the disk spins, and and this also happens when you visit a website, even if Safari's open, right? Uh, the disk spin, right. spins up. Right. Okay. Uh, and I have that in my notes because the reason I said I thought it's a hardware problem is yes, disk activity was was my note here. Right. I, so and I think I, we're in sync here. That disk activity is is disk activity is the cause of oh. of this delay, right? Okay. I, and Good. I noticed this because I run on an SSD most of the time, and so my my internal timing is set pretty darn quick. I've got a I've got an itchy trigger finger, if you will. That you know, when I click Word, as soon as I see, and I don't launch Word all that often, but Pages or or any Safari website, right? Uh, when I see that window up, I start typing. And on the SSD, the system has caught up enough that when I start typing, everything works fine. However, when I do the same thing on any of my machines that have a spindle drive, you know, regular mechanical hard drive, I get exactly what Jack's talking about. Not all the time, but depending on how how antsy I am to get moving uh, that that, you know, this will happen. It'll it I'll type and, and there'll actually be a delay between what I when I start typing and when it appears on the screen and sometimes sometimes it displays exactly what I typed in the order I typed it and other times things get transposed a little bit things get turned around a little bit so uh, and, and so I see that all the time sometimes uh, I, I've, I have I've had text expander jump in the way and, and do some of this transposition too but uh, but that only happens when I'm using text expander snippets otherwise it, it stays out of the way so I I think that's all his problem is. And I think the answer is either get a faster drive or, 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 or just wait until the screen is up and you can tell that the drive stopped spinning and maybe something like iStat menus to show you uh, when it stopped reading from the drive would be helpful. That's Dave, my I'm going to jump in and, and disagree because I think that this, this sounds to me like it's, wasn't happening before and now it is so maybe it is a cache or a right issue or something that could it could be it could also be know. that his drive's getting more and more fragmented over time uh, yeah okay and then Along that slows that makes I'm just it trying to think, you know he obviously you know you have a reason you between an ssd yes. and, a, and a spindle drive yes and we don't know whether or not he has that but we're going to assume he doesn't and right. so he's noticing it now where it wasn't there before right I, yeah, and and I think that can be you know filling up the drive or or yeah. getting, okay. getting. But John, go. You, you, so so now you know now you know my thoughts on this. Yeah, uh, and I, I I disagree. Okay, go. And that I have noticed on occasion. Yes, if my drive is spinning up and I type something, I have personally never observed. Uh, I have observed a delay where when the drive's spinning up, it's going to tell the rest of the system. Yep. All right, guys. You know, hold on. But when what I type. But but when the dr the drive is done doing its thing, which I think is, is the root of the the, right. the issue here. That's right. That's then right. what I type will come up, and the the letters will not be transposed. So I I, I will beg to differ with you. I I have never observed a transposition of characters when I type on the keyboard, and there's something else on the system that's doing something else. So I have not seen this personally. Now, could could be different different keyboard, right? And I'm going to suggest a few things. So yeah. number one, there, there is one place he could look. It, it's, it's, it's unlikely, but you may want to look in system preferences. 
language and text input sources. Just make sure that the only keyboard that you have selected is your keyboard mm-hmm. and not some other wacky keyboard. Yeah, eh, that's unlikely, but, but, right, but I thought it'd right. be worth mentioning. The drive could be failing, and, and, and that's why I think there's something. Uh, that's why I was leaning towards a hardware problem. In the you know recently I had a problem with the uh, with the keyboard on my machine before I sent it an Apple Care and what I noticed was a bunch of USB trackpad reset messages and one thing I noticed now in this case I did notice that the keyboard was acting up so what I'm suspecting is that there that that's why I was suggesting a hardware issue is that between the keyboard and the other things on on the bus. That yeah, may be it. Could be. Is that the, the, the additional activity due to the hardware or buffering or something like that may be causing this because it sounds like once the drive is spun up or the file is loaded or created, then it, then everything's cool. Yeah. Now, the other thing I'm going to suggest, which I think would, elim- would isolate the problem, is if you have another keyboard, and I had to do this also when I had an incident with my machine and the internal keyboard wasn't working that great uh, due, to, due to my own fault. Get an external. Uh, I I would be very interested, Jack. Get an external USB keyboard if you have one, and see if this problem still exists. That would eliminate the hardware problem with the system bus in the MacBook. Well, an external see keyboard still has to plug into. Uh, oh, it, it would USB. eliminate a, a problem. It, it would eliminate a problem. Okay, no, no I, I, yeah, I agree with you. It would eliminate a problem with the keyboard and the, the strobing and the, the, right. the way because I have heard of issues where some keyboards get flaky and sometimes so certain columns or rows don't work out quite right. Yes, especially when so you're that's going with that. no, no. alcohol in it to keep it clean. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Sorry. But that happened. Recently. Thanks, Pete. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. To someone I, I, I know. So, uh, <laughs> so, so what I would, to eliminate the keyboard itself in your machine, try an external USB keyboard and see if the problem yeah, still manifests could be. itself. I, could I'd be, be interested because yep. it could point to a uh, perhaps somewhat faulty or about to fail keyboard in, yep. in the, uh, in the machine. Yeah. Yeah, it, it could. Yeah. So, it, you know, if you're going to try all the things John's suggesting, because Otherwise, if you just go with me, then you're just going to accept that the, the problem is normal and, and everything's fine. And it is good to figure out whether whether or not you have an issue. Uh, for me, well, I course, see it. And it's, you know, I, I, I have to think, but though. But you see transposition of character? Yeah, I do. And I mean, it, may be, are, it may be the way that I type. I'm not going to. I know you and I both type really fast. So, I, you well, know. I touch a, type. I, I'm, I'm 196%. <laughs> confident what i type is what i see yeah exactly on the keyboard and i'll assume jack is touch typing and and right. he doesn't have fumble fingers right so um right yeah i mean it, yeah 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 and he's not just talking about a transposition of one character with another he's talking about where he'll type mac geek gab and it'll be at geek gab m kind of thing where it you know the the first character kind of gets held over I, you know it could be uh I do run text expander on all my machines. I also run keyboard maestro. It's possible. And I I don't know. Software. I don't know enough about how these particular pieces of software work, but obviously they are both sitting there watching and, and parsing whatever's coming in from the keyboard. It's possible that that hard drive activity 
coupled with whatever's going on. And, I, and I'll, I'll alert the text expander folks to this segment of the show so that they can kind of hear it. And they right. may tell me, Hey, look, you know, we it, do know how it works. <laughs> right. And, and it's not our fault and here's why. And that, and, and that's, that's great. But I, you know, I, that is a, a common thing on my machines. I don't know if Jack's running it, but that's, um, that's, it's possible that that's, uh, and you know, I think there's a great way to see if that's the problem, Dave. Yes, there is one way. That's right. Quit text expander. Very, very easy to do. No, another would be <laughs> troubleshooting to again. create. Well, no, to create a new either boot from yeah test a user system, account, a system DVD, or create a new user account and see if this occurs. If it if it occurs, assuming well, does text expander and these these other utilities do they install at a system level or a user level? I have for me, I have them installed at a user level because I because I like the ability to isolate out if I if I need to solve a problem. Okay. Yeah. All right. So uh, that, that would be another suggestion. Make a yeah. new user account, try what you've done before. And if the problem doesn't occur, then it's some piece of software yeah. on the other account that is somehow, and it could be, no, I, li- I like your suggestion. I'm glad we yeah. you know, dug into this is I, I wonder if two pieces of software are fighting with one another. Yeah. Cause you be. mentioned you use keyboard maestro and text expander. Uh huh. And I wonder if there's just a subtle between those two and possible the hard drive activity. Something weird's happening. Once the hard drive goes away, then they're all happy. Yep. Hmm. Could be. So, yeah. So we'll we'll get them to fight with each other. That's right. (laughs) We'll point the fingers of blame and and see if we can't tie them in a knot. Our first sponsor for this show is Audio Engine with their A5 or Audio Engine 5 speakers. AudioEngineUSA.com. The A5s are these awesome they call them bookshelf speakers. Uh, they can be on your desktop if you've got a big desk. The speakers themselves, it's two speakers each. Uh, I have them on my desk. I know, John, and you have them on yours. The speakers are each 10 inches by 7 by 7-ish. Uh, and one speaker is, uh, or one enclosure, each enclosure has two speakers in it, a tweeter and a woofer. It's also got a bass port in the back to get really, really smooth low end. These speakers are engineered to make all music sound good. They sound great with music coming straight to them. They also sound great uh, playing back MP3s. There are some subtle little nuances with MP3s that can, of course it's compressed and it's compressed in a lossy way. Uh, And these speakers can kind of help enhance uh, the MP3 sound and and make that even better. Uh, You know what? In in fact, uh, so they're, they're at audio engine USA, uh, they're 350 for the pair of A5s, uh, but you can save 10% by using coupon code MGGTEN for 10% off uh, at AudioEngineUSA.com. And in fact, we have uh, a listener comment, and I always like always like listener comments uh, about uh, about sponsors because it makes the uh, makes little makes the spots that we do a little bit more fun. Hey, gents, it's Andy from the University of New Hampshire, uh, listening to the latest show. And um, in the audio engine ad uh, for the, the A5s, uh, John mentioned how much he enjoyed seeing the cones move and how much air they moved when you uh, crank them up. And it just reminded me of a wonderful little saying uh, that I heard, I think, on a... Home Theater Geeks podcast, which if you're into things geeky and audio and video is really excellent because they talk to 
real engineering type people and go really into technical detail. Um, but uh, they were talking to a speaker designer and a guy who'd been around a long time. And one of his mentors, uh, if I remember correctly, told him once, there is no replacement for displacement. And um, while one could argue about the I like it. engineering truth of it, I think that there is some. And um, it's a fun saying. So there you are. This is where you cut me off. Thanks, Andy. All right. Uh, it's been a couple of weeks since we've done Cool Stuff Found because we keep uh, overrunning ourselves and this show is heading in that direction. So we are jumping to Cool Stuff Found. We will jump back because we've got a bunch of stuff from 331 to cover. Hugh sent in a great thing. Hugh writes, I thought I'd bring this very cool little app to your attention. It's called Cathode and it sits uh, on top of the terminal. It's actually a terminal replacement app. Uh, and displays your terminal window as though it was back in the day through a CRT screen. And, you know, I launched this app, John, and immediately had what I'll call sensory memories of logging into Unix machines from, you know, my Apple two C or, or, uh, or, or whatever. I mean, it, 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 it's amazing. You know, it's curved at the edges because it's like looking at a, a rounded screen it's so cool. You can even set um, a, uh, a a line to kind of move like 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 when you used to plug a computer into the the TV and it was just slightly out of sync on that on that sixty hertz. So you'd see a line kind of scrolling around on the screen. It does it all with OpenGL. Uh, you can you can run it. It's twenty bucks. To be honest, I'm not sure if uh, if it's really worth paying the twenty bucks because you're going to use it over and over again. But it's certainly worth going and downloading it and checking it out once. And they do have a free trial av available, so uh, it's uh, <laughs> it's cathode. Uh, it uh, you got to run it, John, because you'll you'll have I, I have no doubt you'll have the uh, the same sort of reaction that I did. It will totally bring you back. It made me all n nostalgic for my Apple two days. So yeah, yeah, it's, cathode it's, or cathode ray tube. I believe the name of the app is just cathode. C-A-T-H-O-D. Yeah. I was referring to the, I think when I had, yeah, I think it was the Apple two monitor. Yeah. With yeah. Nice green screen. I, I always like green. Yeah. Right. So there right. Some people like Amber and all that. Yeah. But and they have all of that nice. in here. You can tweak it oh, to your excellent. heart's content. You can go Amber, you can go green. You can, you know, they've got all different profiles. So yeah, yeah it's good stuff. Uh, all right. Moving on to uh, the next in the cool stuff found. Ahanu writes, Today, quite by accident, I found a really cool feature, which is built into Apple's trash can. I often use the command delete keystroke to move items to the trash. But when I accidentally did that to an item which was already in the trash, it moved it straight back to where it came from before I deleted it. Uh, I think it could be a pretty cool feature. And it is. In fact, if you go to something in the trash, if you highlight an item in the trash and go to the file menu, you will see instead of it being delete selected or whatever that option is when you're not in the trash can, it's called put back. And, uh, and in fact, it does just that. So you thanks know what, Dave? let's say if yeah, you highlight ahead. it and you do a right click or control click. Yep. Same thing. I, I looked into this too. I, I you know, I, I love these things that are accidental discoveries of <laughs> keyboard combos. Cause that's sometimes yep. how I, I stumble across them, but it's also in the contextual menu. So it's smart enough to know that an item's in the trash and, and yet yeah, also says put back. Cool. Uh, all right. Jumping, moving through uh, Gary. Cool. 
Right. Uh, just listening to Matt Geek of 323. See, it's been a while since we've done cool stuff found here. Uh, and the problems David was having with the Calibri font and PDFs. I wasn't having a problem as such, but I did want to display to display Calibri in various office documents so that I could see exactly how they looked rather than an approximate substitute. I had already bought Microsoft Office and was running it under parallels on Windows, but I no longer have Office for Mac. As such, I felt justified in using the Calibri font under OS X. You can download the Microsoft Open XML file format converter for your Mac and mount the disk image. If you try to install the converter without having Mac Office installed, it skips installing the fonts. However, rather than install the converter, right-click on the installer package, choose Show Package Contents, then navigate to the Contents, then Packages, in here, you will find a package called OpenXML underscore all underscore fonts. Install this and you get Calibri along with some other MS fonts. But don't get caught. Uh, and of course, we leave the, uh, the the legality of that to you. It sounds like Gary was well justified in installing that. And uh, depending on what you're licensed to do, you may or may not be. So bear that in mind. But pretty cool yeah, that, to find that's- that. Bordering on legality, I think. Do not, under any circumstance, because I, I I was searching for a solution. When I was searching for solutions for this, Dave, do not, under any circumstance, when you type in that font name, go to any site that advertises that you can download it for free. Because they're almost, uh, yeah, they're, they're, they're just bad news. And they will uh, come okay. up. If yeah, you type I'm in sure major font, oh, freefonts.com or right. whatever do not do that because uh i, I can almost guarantee that you're probably going to get something other than the font can you say <laughs> mac defender yeah that's right yeah there you yeah. go right right uh scott writes in show 328 you mentioned the gum plus the battery extender in the cool stuff found segment and indeed it does look pretty cool however what appears to be even cooler is an alternative available from one of my favorite vendors of accessories peripherals and cables especially cables for all things geek monoprice.com they Yay. make a backup battery uh, which he says while only half the amperage of the gum plus is much more flexible and considerably less expensive for 17 bucks you get a device that will work with all i devices Kindles etc and and he's right um, it's uh, it, it's a it's just a little it's a little power source with a USB port on it. And I think the gum plus is the same thing, but, but he's right for less than for basically half the price you can get, uh, you can get more juice than you get with the gum plus. I think the gum plus was 4,400 milliamp hours. This thing is 2,600, but the gum plus was 70 bucks. This is uh 1612 at the moment. And if you buy two of them, they're 1541 a piece. So, uh, so for your camping trips and all that stuff this summer, buy a couple of these, charge them up before you go and you're good to go. So that's, uh, yeah, it's good stuff. Um, you know, when the iPad two came out and I went and got that smart cover that Apple sells for it, uh, I, I talked about how much I really liked the smart cover and how thin it was and how cool it was that it rolls, but I wanted something to protect the back of it. Well, uh, for about the last two weeks, I've had something that protects the back of it. It's called the HyperShield back cover for iPad 2 from Hypershop.com. It's 20 bucks. comes in all the same colors that you can get the, uh, the, the smart cover from Apple for. It fits over the back, leaves room for the smart cover to do its thing. Uh, really, really thin. It's just doing a, a wraparound cover for it. Uh, snaps right on and off really easily and, and really gives me that 
what exactly what I was looking for, something to protect it from getting both scratched. And if I happen to drop it a little bit of corner protection, that might go a long way. So uh, that's uh, hyper shop. It's the, uh, the hyper shield cover for 20 bucks. Yeah. Thanks. I bought my smart cover this week. Did you? Well, you <laughs> yeah. need the smart cover with this. Yeah. Oh, okay. I thought, it was, I thought it was a smart cover with a back. Okay. No, no, this has no smart okay. cover. Okay. You need okay. to buy the smart cover from Apple okay. and then, right. yeah, that's it. That's this. Did you have something, Pete? You had a, the, the, the I, well, encryption I did. thing? Yeah, I had, uh, I got two things actually then. Uh, the encryption thing was uh, from show 331. He was asking about how to just drag a file, encrypt it quickly and be done with, put a password on it and be done with it. Yep. And it's called Google this. It, it's called encrypt this. Okay. And uh, basically, it's a 77K app. I think it was probably made with Automator. You drag whatever file or files you want to encrypt onto the icon. It'll come up and say, what's the password you want it to be? And you can remember it to your keychain or not. And it'll make a little DMG. And then you mount that DMG. You need the password to mount it and get the files that are in it. So it's really cool, really huh. slick, free, easy. And it sounds like exactly what he wants to do. He doesn't it, want all the extras and add-ons of TrueCrypt and stuff. He just wanted to be able to encrypt a file quickly with a password. Right. Done. Right. So that. Cool. And then the other one, I, if, if you don't mind me ask, answering, is You're already bring going. it up. Yeah. Well, I'll stop. No. <laughs> no, you uh, won't. Okay. No. Um, I saved about 30 gigs on my hard drive. Now, this won't apply to everybody, but if you've got an iPhone, I've been doing backups for a while and i went in a couple weeks ago and i found all these damn backups i mean i, I had like seven or eight different backups and and Multiple. some of them were, yes well Back probably from his from his older yeah devices. from the old iphone and that kind yeah. of thing so let me tell you when i cleaned them all out uh it, and mac keeper helped me find it huh. but uh I, I cleaned them all out and i saved like 30 gigs so if you've got an iphone or this is your second or third iphone chances are you've got some old backups there on your hard drive that you may want to get rid of and it's in home library application support mobile sync backups wow yeah, yeah you remembered that, that? yeah i got uh, a brain he, folks he pulled that out of his head he didn't he wasn't reading from anything <laughs> no. that's good yeah. that's good that's kind of scary brain I have. <laughs> wow. I can't remember what I had for lunch, but. <laughs> you, you have any cool stuff found, John, before we dive back into uh, the, the, the rest of the show here? Nothing off the top of my head. All right. Then uh, then let's do some 331 stuff. Uh, you know what? Actually, there was one thing that uh, that we hadn't agended as a cool stuff found item, but Terry sent in something uh, and it was created. It's a document created. uh a little over a year ago, I think it was released, well, it was published March 2010. I don't know when it was put up on their site, but on the NSA's site, uh, yes, the NSA, those people, uh, there no is a document. such agency. That's right. Called Hardening Tips for Mac OS 10 10.6 Snow Leopard. And we'll, we'll, we'll link to this. It's a PDF and it, it looks like it's built to be kind of folded up in a threefold kind of thing and handed out as a pamphlet. It gets pretty geeky, uh, especially considering that it's a little pamphlet, very educational, uh, very well written, very clear as to what it's doing and, and why. But, you know, some of the stuff is just it's telling you to do settings. Some of the stuff it tells you to go to the terminal. Uh, I, I ran through it, John, and I, you know, there were just a couple of highlights. They say don't surf or read mail with an admin account because you could pull a Mac Defender kind of thing and and pull down something into, you know, a potentially privileged account. Uh, securing they've got instructions using a, a terminal command to secure your home folder 
uh, and keep it from being read by other users of the machine. So right now there are items in your home folder by default that can be read if someone else has access uh, to another account on the machine. This shows you how to fix that. They tell you to configure and use what they call both firewalls, not only the one in the preference pane, but also one again from the command line using IPFW. And uh, <laughs> they say that computers mm. with wireless access are more uh, susceptible to problems. So they, they have an Apple certified tech remove both your Bluetooth and airport cards from the machine. Again, like I said, some of this stuff is real simple. Some of it gets really geeky. And then they give you some alternatives, you know, as for pulling out like, uh, you know, uh, the drivers and stuff for Bluetooth and airports so that they just can't possibly run. But, uh, but I thought it was just fascinating that the NSA spent the time to do this yeah. for all. No, they, they, they hit upon, uh, I think the major things. So, so one yeah. I mentioned, so yeah, the firewall stuff, so they talk about IPFW, I believe uh, something called Fireroof is a good way to interface with IPFW. Good call. Yeah. I don't think I would suggest that you manually, because this is the horror of it, the command line. It's not so bad doing it from the command line. I did it for a number of years, nah, but, yeah, but well, you're that, right. That's Fireroof. You, that's you, Dave. Waterroof is better. Yeah. yeah. Uh, another thing is uh, what, what struck me about the Bluetooth and airport stuff is... Uh, well, yeah, they, they, yeah, just pull the extensions, I think, is what they say. Pull the kernel extensions. Right. But uh, right. The, the thing that, that I noticed in the, in the write-up that, that caught my eye, software update. Always make sure you have the latest security updates. Oh, yeah. Um, account settings, the one thing that, that also they touch on, no auto-login. And, and unfortunately, I think uh, Mac OS X still comes with auto-login for convenience sake right when you start up your machine it just blows you right into your user account or yeah, they also account. say to require a password five seconds after sleep or screensaver begins i disagree with that <laughs> it's well it's just well, no convenient. no my mine well mine I, I set mine for immediately yeah i'm not going to give you those five seconds <laughs> hacker dude <laughs> yeah it's that way if you've got somebody that's like coming straight at you you can put your computer to sleep and know that they might get through you, but they're not getting to that computer, even if they get, right. you, get and you finally, down in which three they, seconds. Which I don't think they mentioned directly, but always make sure in your sharing system preference, if you don't need something on, turn it off. Right, right. Because there's all sorts, you know, between file sharing and screen sharing and remote login and stuff. I mean, that that to me, that's a huge hole. But I think uh, out of the box, uh like, for example, my, uh, you know, my buddy Barry, you know, Barry, he, yep. he was over the other day and, you know, I let him log into my, uh, my airport and all of a sudden I saw on my shared tab, oh, Barry's computer mm. is a really sweet MacBook Air. And of course, I'm not going to hack into his computer, but it showed up and, and he's like, oh, it did. Oh, and he looked and yeah, he had sharing on because he uh, is used to using this in his, uh, you know, in his uh, uh, home and he didn't turn it off. But you and I have also seen this in hotels, Dave. <laughs> right. That's where it gets dangerous. Yeah, exactly. quite a bit. Not only that, but also iTunes and iPhoto sharing because they are not in the sharing system preference. And I think that's kind of a mistake on Apple's part. Yep. They should put that in there and they don't. So always turn off any sharing, including those. Let me tell you, I spent a lot of time in hotels. I can't tell you how many social security numbers on resumes I've seen <laughs> and that kind of stuff that people just leave open and you go, you know, not doing anything. In fact, I called one guy one day because he had all kinds of all this financial and tax and all that. And it, I, I went into our company computer and looked at the name and went, yeah, it's one of our pilots. Yeah. So I called the guy and left a message and he called me right back. I said, yeah, you, you may need to 
turn off some of your sharing and put your firewall no, on. Because I, uh, I, I just looked at your daughter's resume, her social security number, her address, and all uh, that stuff. And he's like, Whoa, well, I did what? it. Uh, well, Pete, I'll tell you, yeah. then we'll move on uh, at one Macworld. One of the vendors yeah. that I knew was on the show floor. They were in the hotel that I was in and they had a, a machine shared. And I just, uh, and you know, just the casual look. And I was yeah. able to figure out who the person was. And I, I you know, I just stopped by and I said, you know, so-and-so with your company, they should probably turn off sharing when they're in a hotel. Hotels have the ability. Well, if they have the right hardware and many hotels do, they have the ability to not have people on, uh, on subnets where everybody can see, see each other's traffic. Right, right. Yeah. And, and they really, I mean, it, you know, there's no reason to route from room to room. Uh, it's, you know, very, very infrequently are people going to wind up using that. So, yeah, but it was Wi Fi. And I think it was Wi Fi is that if everybody's on the same Wi Fi, typically those are set up where everybody can see everybody. So, well, yeah, typically. And yeah. with Fire Sheep, it's just a word of the way, you know, get all that security up yeah. if you're going to be traveling with your machine. Because yeah. you're, otherwise, you're just naked to the world and bad stuff could happen if someone's got a bad at it, that intent. Speaking of traveling, we were talking about traveling and Wi-Fi in Europe oh, in Mac yeah. 331. And we have two comments and then, uh, well, and then we'll move on to some other stuff. Uh, Boris writes, uh, I need to comment on listener David, I believe, who plans to travel to Europe. You had a great discussion on various Wi-Fi methods to safely transfer pictures from a camera to a backup device. However, there is the assumption that Wi-Fi is widely available, but this is not the case. Although availability significantly differs across countries, there are few spots where you can get free, fast Wi-Fi at all. You might buy Wi-Fi access at extraordinary prices in your hotel, but in both cases, free and purchased. The bandwidth is usually very, very limited on purpose by the provider to limit their costs. If you get access, you will likely spend hours transferring your photos. Uh, however, to create to avoid creating a wrong impression, private Internet access access, including DSL and cable is totally fine and very fast. But public Wi-Fi tends to be really poor in, uh, in Boris's opinion or Boris's findings. Uh, he says the best tip to give is still just buy a bunch of small SD cards uh, and buy a bag to store them in. He's got uh, a bag that uh, I'm trying to think of what it's called here. It's the think tank pixel pocket rocket memory card case for up to 10 cards. And we'll put a link in the show notes. Uh, the SD cards are usually very durable and reliable. If one fails, you still have all the others as a backup device. Use the iPad and the camera connection kit. So that's uh, that's from Boris. And then we have. Uh, well, I want to add to Boris. OK, a bit. So I did a tweet to my my followers saying, yeah. hello, European followers, please give me the heads up. And so here's what I got very quickly. Great. Europe is is big. Yeah, not as big as as the US, but still it's big. Sure. And it's diverse. So so I got a few here I'm, I'm going to touch on. So one, John, free Wi-Fi is very common in the Netherlands. Most bars, coffee shops have it, but you have, have to ask for the password. Another one in Austria, you can get your fix at most fast food chains. Some shopping centers usually free in the Netherlands. Some are free McDonald's, etc. Some bookstore cafes have free Wi-Fi, but most have none. Um, another person talks about tethering, which I think you mentioned. Um, Denmark, I got a comment free, almost nothing pay. Yes, but expensive in the UK. And of course, the UK is England, Northern Ireland, Scotland and Wales because we I was kind of ambiguous before about that uh but it would seem in general the uk uh is like the u.s and that mcdonald's coffee shops shopping centers you, you can probably get a freebie and then the last one here i have wi-fi is pretty much everywhere in sweden mostly pay i would say but some retail 
establishments have it free or free if you buy something. So thank you to all the my followers who answered that question that I posted this afternoon. So it's it's pretty diverse. So uh, since uh, since the question was kind of ambiguous as far as where right. in Europe our, our listener was traveling, it sounds like some countries are great and some are, you know, touch and go. So uh, there you go. Thanks. That's awesome that you did that. That's great. So so there you go. We've got a bunch of a uh, bunch of stuff there. Uh, David writes some feedback from Mac Geek Up 331. You made two comments. The first was that Wi-Fi is the same everywhere. No, it's not. And the second comment was asking if migration assistant had caused any problems for me. Yes, it has. Uh, David goes on to tell his story. My girlfriend bought her MacBook from brought her MacBook from Boston Mass to the UK a year or so ago. The Mac had been used on the campus of Boston University and had been configured to connect to their network. When the Mac was used in the UK, it could not find the Wi-Fi in my apartment. We tried to connect with an Ethernet cable, but there was no DHCP available in the Ethernet connection on her MacBook Pro. DHCP had been replaced by PPP. As the Mac had 10.5 Leopard on it, we decided to upgrade to 10.6 Snow Leopard to try and fix the problems. We backed it up to Time Machine, formatted the drive, installed 10.6, then used Migration Assistant to bring all the data over. It also brought over all the problems, and the Mac still could not connect. We reformatted the Mac, reinstalled 10.6 again, ignored Migration Assistant, and pulled the data over manually. The DHCP problem was then fixed. Ethernet had the ability to do it, and it worked, but we still had a Wi-Fi connection problem. We tracked that down to my networking being on a channel that the U.S. does not use. We had told the Mac to install the British English version of the operating system, but clearly that does not do anything to the airport card. I suspect I would have to download new firmware and flash the airport to get that changed, if that's even possible. Most of the time, the lack of additional channels does cause us no problems. We have a workaround when out and about in public hotspots. I connect my British MacBook Pro to the network and share the connection via Ethernet to the U.S. MacBook. Cumbersome, but it works. For the house, we bought an Airport Extreme and used the 5 gigahertz band, which fixed the Wi-Fi channel problem in my apartment. Conversely, when we go to the U.S., my British Mac works perfectly as I have all the channels. There may be differences in Asia or New Zealand or Australia as they also have different channels. Uh, thank you for that. And you're right. Absolutely. If uh, if your Wi-Fi is ch- set to use, I believe it's channels 12, 13 and 14, but I'm pulling that off the top of my head. In the U.S., we use one through 11. And then there's there's a couple more that are available elsewhere. And you are correct. OK, so I did the research as well. So North yep. America is one through 11, which is 2412 through 2462 megahertz. Yep. Other parts of the world support 12, 13, and some 14. So I think that, that, that was the problem. So if you stick to channels one through 11, you should be okay. But it sounds like, yeah, if you're in another country, then somebody might choose one of the others and you're set for, I don't know, auto or whatever. Maybe, yeah, the specific Mac may get confused because it can't find the channels that it, it expects to be there and just gives up. Right. So, so, so I David, I, I, I wish you had go. written us uh, about your your problem. What he's talking about here is the way this MacBook was configured. The Ethernet connection was set to use what's called PPPoE or oh, PPP yeah. over Ethernet, meaning an Ethernet connection that requires a login. This is common for if you're connected directly to a DSL modem or uh, it sounds like a, a BU's campus. Maybe they were using it for uh, for something else with Ethernet there. When you all go into your network system preferences, 
and click on your Ethernet connection, it says configure IPv4 and you get a little drop down menu. The default uh, is at the top called using DHCP. However, if you go down to the bottom of that menu, it says create PPPoE service. Once you do this and commit to it, that Ethernet connection appears to be locked into PPPoE and there is no obvious way of going back. Uh, but it's pretty easy to go back. And I feel bad that not only did you go through upgrading, but you actually nuked and paved, paved twice to uh, to solve this problem. What you do is highlight the Ethernet connection and hit the minus sign, delete the selected service uh, or choose to make the service inactive from the little widget down there in the network preference pane. Once you've done that, click the plus button and add a new Ethernet adapter, and you can call this whatever you want. Uh, you, if, if, if you've deleted the other one, you can just simply name it Ethernet so it looks the same as what you're used to, or you can name it whatever you like. And then that's going to come with the default uh, settings, and DHCP is it. And, and, and yes, David, quite literally, it, it, it is that simple, uh, and you could have solved this problem. So hopefully that helps you for the future and, and helps anybody else when you see that your Ethernet's locked into PPPoE. It's, it's not that bad. Uh, there is a workaround. You just create a new Ethernet connection and, and kill off the old one, and you're good to go. So, uh, Moving to, we talked to uh, Tyrone last week about smart playlists and managing things and deleting from them. And several people had a couple of comments, and John John's comment pulls all of them together, so we'll go ahead and play John's here. Hi, fellas. This is John from Anomaly Falls, and I'm responding to uh, episode 331 and the advice to Tyrone on deleting podcasts. Um, I use uh, Smart Playlists, a pretty elaborate set of Smart Playlists, to create uh, what I will listen to in terms of uh, podcasts. Um, in a nutshell, it gets boiled down to music podcasts because for those, uh, I do not want to listen to them at two times normal speed. Um, and then I have a podcast uh, playlist of short ones, which are typically less than 30 minutes, and another one of long ones, which are greater than 30 minutes. And there's a bunch of other hoops that they jump through to get into it. But the big thing is... I have a smart playlist called Delete Podcast, and in a nutshell, uh, this playlist includes any podcast that either has a rating of one star or has been completely played. And uh, obviously, what I do is I will rate them with a star if I want to delete it, and I haven't played the whole thing. Um, If I have played the whole thing and I haven't rated it, then it also goes into that playlist. If I played the whole thing and I really like it, I want to listen to it again or keep it or research it, then I give it another rating, usually a three or a four or something like that, and that ends up in in another playlist. Um, So uh, using that, I then end up with this playlist that will have the day's uh, podcast that I need to delete. And I thought that I hit um, Alt-Delete, not Option-Shift-Delete, to get rid of them. Uh, Though I select them first and then hit that key combination. So I'll need to try that when I get home. Hope all this makes sense. One of these days I'm going to block my process, and uh, I'll let you know when I've got it all uh, worked out. Thanks much. Bye. Thanks, John. Uh, Alt and Option on the Mac are are the same key, or at least they are on Apple keyboards. So that may may just be a nomenclature issue there. Uh, I did want to talk about 
our second sponsor for this show, which is Stitcher. Stitcher is an app for your iPhone, iPod touch or iPad uh, or Blackberry or Palm uh, OS device or Android. And it's built for listening to podcasts on the go. Uh, it's really, really cool the way this app works. Uh, it, you you simply launch it and the podcast uh, you press play and they stream right to it. You don't have to sync from iTunes. You don't even have to download uh, they just start playing over the air. Very, very cool stuff. Uh, and Stitcher is the, the app is free uh, and you can auto load Mac Geek Gab into it. And we're in there, but you can auto load Mac Geek Gab as a favorite for you and be entered to win an iPad, too, simply by entering the code, the promo code MGG. When you install the app, you've got to log in. When you install the app, you create a little account. It's a very, very quick process. And during that process, you'll see a little button that says enter promo code here. Tap that, type in MGG, uh, and then automatically you've saved yourself a step by doing that because you don't have to hunt down Mac Geekab in the uh, in the in the app because it's going to be right there in your favorites list for you. Just choose it, pick the show you want to listen to, hit play. And, uh, and there we are in all of our glory. Uh, you can also visit it. If you, uh, if you want a little reminder, you can visit stitcher.com slash M G G. Uh, that will lead you through the same path. Uh, but if you aren't right in front of your iOS device or in a place where you can do that, stitcher.com slash M G G will bring you there. Uh, again, it works on the iPhone, all the, all iOS devices, Android, Blackberry, Palm, and it works really, really well. Uh, you know, I've I've uh, used it on my own now uh, since they become a, sw- a sponsor, and it's it's really smooth. It just it just works. So uh, that's Stitcher at, at Stitcher dot com slash mgg. But really, your best bet is just go go grab it from the App Store. It's free. Install it and uh, and enter that coupon code on the way the way in, and you'll be entered to win that iPad too from Stitcher. We have a comment from. Another John. So that's that's three, right? Because we've got, of course, the esteemed Mr. John F. Braun here. Uh, and then we have John who just commented <laughs> on Ty- Tyrone's thing. And now we have uh, we have a listener, John. Well, John, number three. Hi, guys. John from Menominee Falls. Again. Wait a minute. That's and, not uh, that's that's the second. That's not this. That's, oh, that's actually oh, the same. No, no, no. It's it is the right comment, but it's not it's a it's not a new John. It's the same John with another comment on 331. Hi, guys. John from Menominee Falls again. And uh, I have a comment on episode 331 regarding backing up photos. A couple of things. One, I uh, I back up to the Internet. Um, all of my good photos end up in libraries on SmugMug. So that way I have some off-site Internet backup. Second thing that I do is I, have, uh, I back up to hard disk. Um, and I keep those hard disks over at my mom's house. Um, and what I did is I bought from Otherworld Computing uh, a, a pair of, I think they're called newer tech. Um, they're like little toasters for hard drives. Might have been, I got the one with all the attachments, uh, like the eSATA adapter and stuff. I think they were $70. They also have some for $30. I have one connected to my Mac at my house and one connected to my mom's Mac at her house. And uh, we use those for backups, and then uh, she's my off, off-site storage. Um, uh, every three months or so, um, I have a to-do in my to-do list that pops up that says, next time you're at mom's house, pop those discs into the toaster and spin them up for a little bit. 
and that works great. And then I also will do a carbon copy clone, or actually a super-duper clone of her Mac every once in a while when I'm over there, and then I'll bring that disc over to my house uh, and keep it, and that works great. Um, one other um, observation is it sounded like John uh, was not using Aperture's uh, built-in file management, and I would strongly encourage that. So I don't um, manage the files myself in Aperture. Instead, I take them um, and assign them to events and uh, labels and keywords, all those kinds of things, as I pull them into the library. I found that that works much better than uh, having me have to remember what year was that, what month was it, even what event it is. If I can search for it and find it, I'm much more likely to find it than to have to uh, search through uh, uh, various file folders. Hope that helps. Thanks much. Here's where you cut me off. Thanks, John. So the uh, the device that he mentioned from uh, Otherworld is the Voyager or Voyager Q, depending on which model you get. I've got one of these things and it's awesome. You can leave it plugged in all the time and, and it is, you just kind of drop the hard drive down into this dock and it's got power. It's got the data connector and it just works. And it's got a little slot for two and a half or uh full size drives. It's, it's perfect for, you know, for this sort of thing. It's, it's, it, you know, if you wind up using a lot of different drives and you don't want to have to mount them in and out of uh, cases, but you also want something a little more, elegant and permanent than the, the um, USB disc connector and faster potentially because it'll do eSATA or Firewire uh, 800. That's it. That Voyager is, it's pretty cool stuff. So uh, back, backload that one into cool stuff found. It's, it's good stuff. So go John, you, you have, you have something to, I, I'm, I'm sure you have something to say about his aperture comments. I think so. So, so one, I'm curious. So one, Hats off to Smug Mug and having an off-site backup, especially having hard drives at mom's house. I mean, that, that is the best right. strategy because if a meteor or something hits your house or the apocalypse or whatever, <laughs> assuming it's not global, you're cool. Um, the, I guess, no, I'd like to follow up with John because I do use projects to consolidate my photos and aperture. So I'm not sure if that's what he's talking about. Because I do group my photos, not just as a big photo group, which you can certainly do. I mean, that that's how Aperture works. But I do group them in projects. So yeah. I think I grok what he's saying. If not, John, please get back to me because maybe I'm not understanding what you're saying. But I do group them. Maybe he's commenting on the way that I label them, which we talked about before, which is I, I do, when I do an album, apply a year and a, a month just right. to make it easier to sort. And then the final thing that he was talking about, which I don't think I mentioned in the past is, so, you know, I'm a big iFi fan, but the one thing that, that I don't think we mentioned in the past, which I want to mention about iFi is iFi has something called iFi view. And I think this is very cool because it touches upon, I think, photo backups. So one of the features in the newest card, uh, the X2, is that they have something called iFi view. Now, by default, if you enable this, it will back up. If you use their service, the last seven days of photos, but they also have something called iFi Premium, kind of similar to Mac Geek App Premium, but it's an iFi service in that if you if you pay an additional fee, then you will get more. And what they do is for either four ninety nine a month or forty nine ninety nine a year, every photo, uh, very similar to our feature of a 
you like how I'm plugging us here? I got but very that. similar, yeah. what we do is that every photo that you've uploaded to their service, if you have iFi View enabled, will be stored in the iFi cloud. So again, four ninety nine a month, and you know, I I just love the service, and I think that's a very awesome feature. So if you're near an iFi a, a Wi-Fi access point, and you have this card. To me, that's just cool that it just uploads everything to the iFi View cloud and all your photos are there. So that's a neat feature. And, you know, uh, the unlimited, I mean, they say unlimited. And I think that's (laughs) that's the thing has me scratch my head. If you got some, you know, really, you know, active photographers, uh, I don't know how they're going to manage that. But uh, it's just a cool feature. Cool. All right. Uh David had a question about, uh, well, he says, I just finished listening to your discussion on using Migration Assistant to move to a new Mac, and I have a parallel question. I'm feeling the need to nuke and pave my existing two-and-a-half-year-old MacBook Pro. There's no clear reason to do so other than the sense that after two-and-a-half years of installing, trying, and then removing using AppZapper or several dozen apps, Ever since the two of you introduced me to the notion of cruft, I've had increasing trouble sleeping at night, thinking my machine is somehow <laughs> encumbered with the stuff. I think I'd feel like a whole new man if I wiped the drive clean and started afresh. I know it's not a huge challenge to restore my address book, iTunes library and the like, but I would also want to do is restore the customization work I've put into the OS and various apps. For example, restoring the way I've set up spaces and the folder actions I've set up with Hazel. So I guess the real question is not so much. How do I do this? Perhaps the real question might be, will I really find my life to be transformed if I do a nuke and pave? Uh, so yes, you I, will. Yeah, there it is. <laughs> yes. Moving on. Uh, no, <laughs> yeah. You know, not in a I, good way. I, I did this three years ago when I got my current MacBook pro and I'm due for a replacement. I got to figure out what I want to do. I might. I might actually move away from having a laptop as my main machine, but uh, back to the topic at hand. Uh, I felt really good after I did this. Uh, I did, you know, my, my, the, the sun shone brighter and I got better gas mileage in my car and you know, no, uh, it, it there, I understand the allure of wiping, nuking and paving and starting from scratch. But you know, the, the problem there is you're giving up on all of that customization. Now you can, take a clone of your drive or, you know, whatever, and save that off and pull back those little prep files, you know, maybe the prep file for uh, spaces and then the prep file for your uh, Hazel. And maybe you can bring back some of your folder actions. Maybe you can't, I don't know how difficult that's going to be because I've never tried it. Uh, But you know, that that's, that's, it's a baby in the bathwater approach. When you, when you do the nuke and pave, there is, I'm sure like, like me, I'm sure you've got tons of, Pref files from things that probably shouldn't be there, even though you have removed them with app zapper, that stuff lives. Uh, some of it does anyway. Uh, and, and I'm sure you're, you're going to run a little bit cleaner, but I don't know that it's going to be that much cleaner. I, I really don't know that you're going to notice a difference. Um, I, it, although it, it really didn't take that long for me to, to do the whole nuke and pave and then bring it back. It was less than a day and I was back to basically where I wanted to be. So it was probably an afternoon. So, I, you know. But it's always that one little setting that, you know, you did one time yeah. and you saw a tip on a website and then it drives you nuts trying to find it again. And, mm-hmm. You know, and that's the thing that you're you're looking at. So it depends how yep. nuts you'll go over it. I'm not in the good habit of writing stuff down like oh. that when I do it. Yeah. Well, I'd have cool, to go back and listen like to all the podcasts where yeah. I talked about, hey, I did this cool <laughs> new thing. And it's like, well, how did I do it? Well, I have to go listen. I don't remember. So. 
I don't know what your thoughts on that are, John, but I shake my fit. No, it's not a fist shaking thing, but I, I, my thoughts are as follows. If it's the, the only risk I see with doing the migration thing is if you bring along a ill-tempered kernel extension, something low level, especially if you're going between platforms or between dissimilar machines where for whatever reason, the kernel extension or other piece of low-level software does not play well. And then you get crashing, nasty crashing behavior. Other than that, as I indicated to you, Dave, I, you know, when I graded the mom over from a iBook G4 to a very, you know, 2009 MacBook, yeah. she was delighted. She's like, everything looks the same. Everything is the same. The only thing that wasn't the same was the mail because I had to manually migrate that because she was on Outlook Express and that just wouldn't <laughs> right there was no equivalent program so the, the only thing i had to do manually was bring the mail over from outlook express on a g4 to a macbook using mail app and i had to jump through a few hoops to bring the mail over but other than that everything else came over just fine safari all, all the bookmarks uh, yep. the desk even the desktop she was like the desktop looks the same i'm like yeah isn't that kind of neat <laughs> so so uh so uh, the I, I don't know. I, I see the, the yes, there is a small risk that you're going to bring something over that is either poorly written or inappropriate for the new machine for whatever reason. Either it's, you know, I, I mean, we've heard about I7 or I5 issues. Maybe you'll run into that. But he's even talking about the same machine. Same machine. <clears throat> yeah, he's not even changing. Well, in that case, then yeah. in that case, then I, I, I don't know if I see. I mean, like we like we talked, you, you know, if you got caches and other things that are old or stale, then, then there are utilities that can clean that stuff out. So, right. right. So I, I uh, uh, again, my, my, my I, concern is I want to save our listeners time. And, and nuke and pave takes time. Right? Absolutely. Yeah, it's not it's not an un uh, unfathomable you amount of time, a, but you it is hours. Day. Absolutely. You blow a day yep. doing it. And then, like Pete said, you will have those things over the next couple of weeks. That yeah. oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> and we want to save you time. It's not working. We do, oh, we yeah. don't want you migrating right. your machine. We want you listening to our podcast. That's right. <laughs> we need to prioritize <laughs> your time. So uh, I do have something to add to that. Very very briefly is Go. that I happened to notice today, and this is truly in passing. But I was at the Thunderbird website because we mentioned Thunderbird in a previous podcast and I was there today and I saw something about it importing mail from both Outlook and Outlook Express. So, uh, so could have done that. Yep. Okay. So I throw that out there for for the mom. I wanted the mom on a mail app. Right. 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 Uh, you know, this will be our last show for June. Uh, we we're well, next Monday is, is Memorial day. And you mean me. Yeah, I meant May. Okay, I just do. checking. <laughs> I, I, scratch that. Re- rewind. This will be our last show until June. How's that sound? Okay, good. Uh, Memorial Day is, is a week from today, and uh, and so that's just how it's going to work out. Uh, and we won't do a show on Memorial Day, so that and, and then May ends. So our next show will be show 334 Premium, which will be done on Thursday, June 2nd, if my math is right. And then the following week, I'll be at WWDC, but we're going to figure out a way to do a show while I'm out there because we've done that before and it works just fine. Uh, but with that, I figure we can go a little bit longer today. I, I There was one more cool stuff found thing I didn't put on the list that I, I really want to talk about. It's a new app that came out 
And instead of telling you the name of the app first, I'm going to pull a John mm-hmm. F. Braun on you and I'm going to tell you a little story first because I think what? I think it's important to to lead you down this path. What are you saying? Uh, we'll talk about it later. <laughs> uh, so are imagine, you saying I'm verbose at times, Dave? Imagine if you will. <laughs> John F. Braun, ladies and gentlemen, he'll he'll be here all week. I won't, but he will uh, tip your waitress. That's right. Uh Imagine if you will, you had an app that allowed you to easily look and see what all your favorite news sources had posted, scan through all those headlines, click, uh, tap a little, you know, tap on one of them. And this is an iPad app. So tap on it, save these articles, pile them up and then go through and read the articles. If you are someone who understands what RSS does, uh, then you would say, Dave, that's an RSS reader. And I'd say you're right. If you're someone who doesn't understand what RSS does or tried to and never really grokked it, you've probably glassed over in or looking for the fast forward button. Stop. Do not press fast forward because this app does not use RSS. This app uses Twitter to do this. It's an app called Tweed, T-W-E-E-D. Just came out from Lithium Corp. Uh, The folks that make like James Wilson at Lithium makes like really geeky server monitoring, really cool stuff. We've talked about it before. This is very much a different uh, type of app. It's a, it's an app for uh, consumers and news, news reader people. Uh, Really, really cool. You can have it. The cool part about it and RSS works, but the problem with RSS is you can't see it. You have to get a client first, an application first in order to decode RSS. Now, of course, you can read it if you're willing to look at XML, but I'm going to we're going to you know assume that you don't want to do that. The best part about this is it's Twitter. So you can see it on the web and you can say, oh, yeah, I like what Mac Observer posts to their Twitter account. I want that. I like what Tua posts to their Twitter account. I want that in my thing. And what's cool about Tweed is it filters out anything that doesn't have a link. So it's only showing you those tweets that have links to external documents. So if somebody's just, you know, tweeting about uh, what time they ate lunch or how their dog's doing or whatever. You're not going to get that stuff. You don't even need a Twitter account to use Tweed. Uh, you just go through and they have their own lists, curated lists that are out there that, that you can choose from. But if you do have your own Twitter account, you sign in, you can have it look at your whole timeline. Again, filtering out only those posts or filtering it down to only those posts that have links or you can use Twitter's lists feature and create a list of your favorite news sources and just do that. It's a really handy way to read news and, and search through headlines and customize what you want to do. And it's perfect on the iPad because the iPad is great for that sort of thing. So, uh, so tweed and the app store, I, you know, and I didn't, I didn't have this prep, so I don't have the price up. Did you happen to look it up? Did either one of you? No. Uh, okay. No. Uh, I will, uh, I will find it, but I, I, it's, it's less than 10 bucks. It it might be 10. Uh, it might be, uh, it's, it's a lot less than 10 bucks. It's three bucks. Well worth it, James. You should triple the price, uh, but it works really, really well. So, uh, so I, I, and I've been testing it for several weeks. I, I really, really like it. So I, you can tell because I'm all excited. Here we go. Tweed. Yeah. Three Lithium bucks. Corp. Yeah. F- yep. From Lithium. Three bucks. Yeah, yeah. There we go. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so that's that we do have, uh, we do have another question from Jeff and, and since we're, we're buying extra time here from ourselves, borrowing from the future to pay the past. Hi Dave, John and pilot Pete. 
I was just in a Mac 331 and listening to your article about Mac Defender or Mac Protector or whatever it's now called. I believe it's changing its variants all the time. Um, and you say that should you get directed to the Windows web page or Windows looking web page and then you press the cancel button, it will download a disk image file which if you've got your preferences on your Mac set to open safe files that it will um, launch it and that sort of got me thinking um, open safe files I mean this definitely is not a safe file in fact it couldn't be much unsafer if you tried <laughs> so how does the Mac decide or what's its criteria regarding a, f a safe file what is the safety defined as um, I'd be interested to know if you have any thoughts on this uh, I do use antivirus and I do use Intego and have done since I've had my Mac purely because I deal with two, under, two other Windows machines and I don't want to be the carrier of anything uh, from one machine to another. It works reasonably well. It hasn't slowed it that much, although I would agree it is intrusive on the, on the operating system itself. But... In my opinion, better safe than sorry, because I think it's coming. It's just a matter of when. But I'd be interested to hear what you think about this safe file setting. And I would it know anyway. Thanks. Great show. I uh, look forward to uh, your reply. Cheers. Thanks, Jeff. Yeah, so if you go into Safari's preferences and go to the general tab or button, or whatever they call these things. The general section, down at the bottom, there is this checkbox that we've talked about that says open safe files after downloading. And safe, in quotes, uh, is defined as files that include movies, pictures, sounds, PDF, and text documents, and disk images, and other archives, specifically excluding applications. So there is nothing here that is going, it by a safe file, Apple's saying, Nothing that will launch an, a running application on your Mac. So, uh, and it will happily open those for you. Now, of course, as we saw with Mac Defender, the fact that it's a disk image started that up. But again, it never actually launched the application. That was up to you to to go through and install. And talks you into doing it, it yourself. It talks you into doing it yourself. That's right. So, the little social engineering. Well, no, if you no, will. Well, 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 no. Is. But it says archives. So I think what happened is it unarchived it and then launched the installer. Right, right. But it but it never actually finished the installation. You as the user have to okay, agree. Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. I agree with you, but it did initiate an action which could lead the user astray. Absolutely. That's right. That's and it's right. under the other archives and archives and maybe my archives is somewhat not the best term. But I thought it was a disk. I thought it was a disk image that it pulled down and then and then fired up the installer from there. I'm pretty sure that's what. Okay, it was. and I think in some cases it yeah. may have been a zip file. Okay, which is okay. an archive. Yep. Which yep. of course it'll unzip it and then launch a disk image. And uh, so I uh, so I think the the point here is that the other archives category is right. the one that you, you may want to be concerned about, and I think that's where a lot of these. But because now we're seeing there's variations, but it's going to look at an archive file and say, oh, well, it's a zip file. I should unzip that. Oh, it's an image file, a disk image. Well, I better launch that. Right. And you and I and we've all seen that. And 
I have, and I should probably uncheck it. No, no, I want to check it because I think I can figure out when I'm being tricked. Yeah. No, yeah. It's the basic, the old saying you know, live on the wild though, side goes here. that if you didn't seek something like that, then don't go installing right. something right. like that. And don't be, don't believe that your Windows machine is corrupt when you see that on your Mac. That's right. You know, <laughs> right. Well, that's it. You, you see that Windows vin- when you, window and you hit cancel. And of course, that yeah. actually triggers the download. Now, it's very, it's very ingenious the way these people, you know, thought this out. Uh, but, you know, it's social engineering. That's yeah. it. But now, That's Dave, it. you may ask yourself, so there is a list of safe files. Okay. Is there any way to change this? I'm, I'm guessing you're leading oh, me down a path of is. telling me how to do that. Well, no, there's. <laughs> yes. And I did find an article. Okay. So Become by default. Engineer. That's me, I think. There you yes. go. Last I checked. That's right. <laughs> but there is a file. So I found an article and it, it gets a bit geeky, but there is a file that is not on your system by default. But if you choose to create it, you can change the behavior. So number one, of course, you can change the behavior by unchecking this box. And, you know, for the most part, I don't think it'll make your surfing experience terribly unpleasant. No, the handiest nice. thing is when I pull down a PDF or a, a JPEG and it pops it open in preview for me. That that's handy. Or or when it, I like the fact that it'll unzip a zip archive for me most of the time. There's sometimes you know, Dave, when I want to. I'm going to take a short tangent because we talked about the NSA thing. And the thing is, on my MacBook, I still have this thing, and I don't know what I did. Maybe it's some some screw up with the PDF viewer. But yep. anytime I get a PDF in Safari. I get a dialogue saying Adobe PDF viewer cannot find a compatible Adobe Acrobat or Acrobat reader to view this PDF. And I always have to select the PDF, uh, the Acrobat reader in the applications folder. And even though I keep doing this, it asks me every time and it's really bugging me. I don't know if it's a plist file or maybe I have to reinstall Acrobat. I don't know. And I installed the latest, you know, thing with all the security uh, stuff. But anyways, the, uh, I want to insert that because it, it keeps happening and it's, it's just annoying. It's not a showstopper, but it just annoys me. But anyway, so th- there is this file that you can create called com.apple.downloadassessment.plist within your library, within your home directory, library preferences, which will let you fine tune what files are considered safe or not. And I'll link to the article because it, it, it requires some pretty, pretty heavy, even for me and you, Dave, pretty heavy XML geekery to define the layout of the file that that should be considered safe as well. And it was written by somebody who was just not happy with the performance or, or wanted Safari to process certain files in a certain way. And, and it just by default wouldn't do it. So. Cool. That's what cool. I got. All right. Well, I think we may we may wind up pushing our uh, our limits on how oh. long these shows have been, but uh, but that's okay. This could be like a I record said, keeper. Yeah, we're we're record we're off, maker. Keeper. We're off for yeah. a week and, and change here, so it's good so. to do this. Uh, you can contact us, John. We've talked about Twitter quite a bit in the show today. Twitter.com slash John F. Braun is him. Twitter.com slash Dave Hamilton is me. Slash Mac Geek Gab is the show. Slash Pilot Pete is Pilot Pete. And slash Mac Observer is Mac Observer. Again, that's all. Twitter.com slash. Uh, you can call us at 206-666-GEEK, which John is. 
four three three five. But I think most importantly, Dave, is if you want to communicate with us, I think email is an ideal medium. Email works and, so well. And you could send us text. You yes. could send as many have audio attachments, screenshots, maybe movies if they're not too big. And if you wanted to do that, I think you would probably send it to feedback at MacGeekGab.com. You know, you're right about all of it, except it's feedback at MacGeekGab.com. <laughs> As usual, you're right. Skype us to Mac Geek Gab. Uh, for for those of you that are looking for a little bit more, and you know, I gotta say, uh, it's convenient more? that this little gap gives you uh, gives you some time not only to catch up but dig a little deeper. Our premium uh, sponsored uh, our premium option allows you for. Uh, 25 bucks, you can get two additional episodes per month. You have access to all of the archives as well, so you can go back and hear all of uh, all of the previous episodes, including the premium episodes. Uh, and, uh, and of course, you get that, that warm, fuzzy feeling from supporting your two favorite Mac geeks, so that's a premium episode, or premium option you can learn all about that at macgeekgab.com where you'll also get the great show notes that the esteemed Mr. John F. Braun puts together for you. Did in I get the, a promotion? It, what's that? In the esteemed category, we have Michael Johnston. <laughs> he uh, he has uh, been the one that's been converting this show and uh, almost all episodes that we do to AAC over the years. He runs the We Have Communicators podcast and we recommend that too. That's also available in Stitcher. Uh, Cashfly.com provides all the bandwidth. The podcast marketplace includes the A5 desktop speakers from Audio Engine, Yojimbo from Barebone Software, PDF Pen and PDF Pen Pro from Smile, Notebook from Circus Ponies, and Stitcher using promo code MGG all through Backbeat Media. And that will do it for May. If I may. May I? You may not. May be not. Mayday. Mayday, mayday. Just Make it stop. Don't, don't get Hold caught. Up.